as long as we will keep looking for a savior, a strong man, somebody who will help us uh, solve problems uh, or, or even solve problems on our behalf, uh, we relinquish agency. We relinquish responsibility. We we put our fate in the hands of others, and then I mean that's easy. It's easy, right? Because then that person will make mistakes or will not find the right solution, and so we can blame that person. And there's and and there's nothing we blame ourselves for, right? So it's it's comfortable. It's comfortable to be in the back seat, but it doesn't help. Today we had with us Celine Schillinger, who is an award-winning French entrepreneur a change practitioner and a consultant. More excitingly than all of that, she was made a Knight of the National Order of Merit by the French government um, and was also one of the top 40 women to watch over 40 in 2016. She is so fascinating to speak with. She has a book coming out, um, hopefully in May, called Dare to Unlead, The Arts of Relational Leadership in a Fragmented World, which is what she was joining with us to speak about. But she has a long successful history of helping organizations of all sizes through transformation and through leadership transformation and so it was really exciting to speak with her about the ideas that she has uh in this conversation paul her idea that the we need an entirely different way of leading that really isn't what we would call kind of leadership really um this idea that the 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 network the relationships are and this uh, and this concept of a kind of collective leadership i think is is really inspiring what occurred to me is that if you if you look at them a machine it's actually a very poor system for leadership i mean it it will you know you can have top down control orientated leadership which works until it stopped working um but actually if you start to get leadership from a living system if you look to a living system for leadership you find leadership everywhere and i i think that's really a, a very sort of transformational idea yeah it is and this idea of relational leadership where you go back to the idea of the living system as you were just sharing as being a, a more true and powerful way of thinking about organisations. it And we speak, we speak about this in Nature of Work, the power of relationships. An organisation is nothing but relationships. And so one of the things that Celine mentioned at the end was this idea of everything exists within interactions. And it reminds me of um, a podcast I was listening to a couple of days ago, which was actually between Fritjof Capra, Tyson Yonker-Porter, and a guy called Jack Manning Brancroft. And it was trying to connect living systems thinking through an ind indigenous knowledge system lens. But the reason I bring that up is one of the things that Tyson shares is in indigenous thinking, knowledge is seen as not existing within an individual thing, but it's seen as existing in the space between things. And that reminds me of what Celine was sharing, is that actually leadership exists not in the individual, but in the space and the interactions created between individuals. And it's a, such a dramatically different way of thinking that I think our Western culture in particular doesn't, isn't particularly comfortable with, I think. No. And, and can I just drag us down into a more kind of um, trivial question before we get into the interview? So 
you, you and I didn't want to interrupt you when you were talking to Salim about strongman leadership and how, mm. you know, that's one of the problems. And I did wonder, is it is it that it's a man who's doing the strong leadership or is the problem just that having strong leaders um, who op- operate in a certain style is the problem? That's such an interesting question. I don't think it's necessarily the problem that it is a man. I think what we've seen over time is that a certain form of or in certain interpretation of masculinity has been embedded in the system of leadership so it's not necessarily that it's a man and we need more women it feels like there's a particular type of masculinity potentially that is that idea of the hero the individual the strong person who doesn't feel emotions has been embedded in our system of relation of um, leadership, I think, as opposed to the fullness of what who an individual is and all the the emotions and the the left side and the right side and bringing that to leadership. What do you think? Um, I think I think that's that's right. I think it's more that um, if you like the characteristics that could be considered more feminine. Am I getting into dangerous territory here? No, are, no, no. Are more are more are more in tune with a uh, relational type of leadership. And so I'm thinking of the Finnish uh, prime minister, whose name I won't try and pronounce, but she's in her 30s and she seems to be doing a a really good job as Finnish prime minister. I think she's the youngest uh, prime minister, um, well, certainly in quite a lot of different countries and, and is bringing, I noticed that she was just working from home um, during one of the lockdowns in in Finland, like everybody was, and and I, I just kind of so I think you can get female leaders who exhibit female like characteristics in in different styles of leadership. I think you know, without getting too political, we had Margaret Thatcher here, who was a female leader, but was pretty much following a more masculine form of leadership. We're in. Deep water here. Let's, let's, <laughs> I know. It's. I let's... think. I think it's. It's. If we. If we're talking about bringing our full selves to work and it, you know that inner work that needs to happen, there is definitely a case to be made that regardless of your gender identity, regardless of your sex, that idea of of fully experiencing the masculine and the feminine and bringing them to bear. If you're too heavily into one or too heavily into the other, there's no balance, and so. Bringing, I think, that balance of both, regardless of your gender or your sex, into your leadership style is is only going to be a positive. We should need to bring Celine back on to ask her that same question. Yeah. Okay. Let's get in conversation with Celine. Background for this conversation, Celine, is Shamrit and I were both very intrigued by your new book that's coming out. Really wanted to try and sort of connect your own ideas. And we were reflecting on the fact that we we really haven't covered the subject of leadership on the podcast yet, which is quite strange, really. But this is our opportunity to remedy that. I would say that we're probably uh, living through a period of, of a kind of crisis of leadership, maybe not in every area of society and and the world but i think leadership is really struggling at the moment 
Would you agree with that, Shimri? Yeah, I think so. I think we will often, and I know you'll speak about this in great depth, Celine, and you cover it in your book, but the idea that the old ways of leading, the traditional ways of leading, which are very top-down, very hierarchical. Hierarchy isn't necessarily a bad thing, but they're kind of infused with this, this power dynamic that's unequal. That doesn't work for a rapidly changing, complex world um, that has wicked problems that needs collaboration and cooperation. So the, it's the, the leadership dynamic needs to change. And one of the things that really struck me Celine, with the title of your book, The Dare to Unlead the Art of Relational Leadership in a Fragmented World, which is such a fantastic title. One of the, the images of nature that came to mind for me was the murmuration and the kind of schools of fish where people, the, the different creatures, leadership comes and goes depending on who has the best information for, for how to react and how to adapt. So I'm really excited to get into this more and more with you. But first of all, congratulations on the upcoming publication of your book, which I know is imminent. Um, how does it feel? How does it feel to know that it's coming out? Thank you, Shivrit. Uh, I'm both um, ecstatic and at the same time, it feels a little bit uh, unreal still. The book is still a file on my computer. <laughs> There's nothing really, you know, physical. I, I did actually print the manuscript uh, for the first time a few weeks ago, and it was uh, already uh, quite something, you know, to, to feel something that has weight. <laughs> and uh, that represents many, many nights and evenings and weekends and days of writing and researching. Um, it's uh, it's really amazing. I had no idea about the number of people involved in making a book, and this is uh, probably one of the, I mean, one of the very interesting lessons of this process is uh, that it's it looks like a solitary work, and in a way it is, but at the same time it's um, it's a teamwork, and it's a it's a lovely team I'm, I've been working with. So. Uh, really really happy to uh, bring this to life uh, very soon it's like a birthing process yeah where one yeah. person may be carrying the baby but it takes a village uh, definitely so. yes absolutely yeah so just to explain the the title what what, what is it what do you mean by unlead so it's called <laughs> dare to unlead but i'm also interested in what you mean by relational leadership in a fragmented world Thanks for asking. So the the title came uh, a little bit late in the writing process. Um, I hadn't really thought about that originally, but then as I searched for a title, I thought, hmm, you know, all this leadership literature, um, this line of thought around the fact that we need to become, you know, more leader-like or leaderish or leaderful or, you know, more, more, more leadership. Um, putting unbelievable expectations on the shoulders of individuals. I thought, I feel that's not the way. I, I feel we need to, um, to, to understand that there's a whole collective dimension in leadership, not in what leadership you know, produces, but in what leadership is. It's not a, an individual competence that uh, puts you above others or that, you know, elevates a few people above others. I feel it's, um, it's actually a collective capacity that we need to develop. 
And uh, that's why I thought maybe we actually need to unlead, to, to learn to um, co collectively, uh, to develop this collective capacity rather than of, uh, individual you know, leadership uh, skills. So that's where the idea of unleading came a little bit of a, as a paradox, but also as a, a gentle nod to the, our, the arch famous book <laughs> by Brené Brown called Dare to Lead, which is which is super interesting. And I love Brené Brown. Uh, but I thought a, a bit of a paradox would be um, interesting to um, trigger thoughts and uh, invite to conversations. Now, relational leadership is um, linked to the fact that I believe leadership is not so much tied to assertiveness, confidence, you know, charisma, the, the kind of competencies or, or behaviors that are traditionally associated to leadership. I think the leadership today, and because of this collective nature of leadership, is much more uh, related to the the ability to form relationships, the ability to relate, the, to create relatedness, to 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 cultivate and nurture this relatedness. And to me, it is linked to more of the emotional uh, competencies or the ability to be uh, fluent uh, or, or to to relate with people who are different from us. And it's this um, competence. Uh, I, I believe at the individual level, that's what I just said, but also at the collective level, an organization aiming for performance needs to develop its social capital, its its capital of relatedness, of, of trust and, and um, across all layers and all levels and functions. So that's why relations is, as you know well, because you've, you too have written a book about uh, living organizations, and you too knew, know that uh, relations, connection, are uh, an essential element of living organizations, right? So, so unlead could sound like um, the removal of leadership. It could sound like mm -hmm. a kind of self-organizing... Mm -hmm perhaps quite anarchic approach but i what, what i think you're saying is that actually it's a it's not so much the absence of leadership it's a different dimension or experience of leadership based on relations it's it's quite interesting because i've been doing this course at oxford university on the oxford university on the ethics of climate change and there was a, I was having a conversation with somebody at the end of the class on Tuesday and he was a, 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 an older person and he said, I, I kind of feel like we need a, a sort of strong leader to come and uh, help us with climate change. And I, I said, I don't think, I think that that's not the route forward for us. Actually, we need perhaps more of a collective leadership so you know we're recording this while you know in terms of uh, we've got in a way sort of horrifying versions of what we might call traditional leadership there's a whole bunch of russian troops on the border with ukraine you know you could say uh, putin's got a certain leadership we've got biden kind of weighing in we've got different leaders trying to and it feels like a kind of all too real but also 
is that is that where we are in terms of leadership and uh, I, I, I you know is that what you mean by referring to the the fragmented world that we're in and the need for a different i mean relational leadership mm-hmm. wouldn't have us where we are with russia ukraine etc yes i i totally agree with you i i think as long as we will keep looking for a savior, a strong man, somebody who will help us uh, solve problems uh, or, or even solve problems on our behalf. Uh, we relinquish agency. We relinquish responsibility. We, we put our fate in the hands of others. And then, I mean, that's easy. It's easy, right? Because then that person will make mistakes or will not find the right solution. And so we can blame that person. And there's, and, and there's um, nothing we blame ourselves for, right? So it's, it's comfortable. It's comfortable to be in the back seat, but it doesn't help. And I think this um, uh, agenda, this leadership agenda, this strong man leadership agenda is part of the problem. It's not part of the solution. And the solution will come from all of us. It does not depend only on uh, the senior executives changing their behaviors. It depends on every one of us. Uh, it's, it's also about any one of us stepping, uh, taking, you know, a stand and, and, and acting for change instead of waiting for change to come to them from somewhere else or from somebody else. So the fact is, as you rightly noticed, unleadership is not the absence of leadership. It's a different kind of leadership, which requires even more work. <laughs> it's... Um, <laughs> It's not about, I mean, it's about removing uh, oneself from the center of the picture in order to provide, uh, to, to, to make room for this collective capacity. But this requires a lot of work, creating connections, creating conversations, connecting the system to more of itself, connecting um, like days and night the ecosystem to itself, um, creating different ways for people to interact, etc. So it takes a lot of dedication, work, and um, you need to engage your full self there. It's not a work that, uh, you know, you can, on, you, you can only do between uh, 8 a.m. and 5 p.m., right? It's a, it's a way to be in the world. It's a way to show up, you know, as a person and not just as a professional. One of the things that you mentioned, the strong man, and it's interesting because while you and Paul were speaking, what came to mind for me was our tendency in storytelling, whether that's fictional storytelling or the way we interpret history, to focus on the big man or the hero's journey and the idea that it's one person against the world, against all the odds, making something happen. Whereas what I learned about last year, for example, is the idea of the heroine's journey, which is more about how a person in collaboration with others can bring something about and having to change our view of things so we're not just focused on the individual, but we are focused on the collective to tell that story. Um, really came to mind to me there as you were, as you yeah. were speaking. At some point, I quote a, a French filmmaker, Olivier Assayas, who says of uh, superhero movies that they are based on the passivity of the spectator. And I find like extremely telling and it, it, uh, it resonates very much with uh, politics or the workplace or as long as we stick to this narrative, which is in a way a political agenda too, as long as we stick to that, 
we want change enough. Uh, it's impossible to change enough to solve the big problems uh, that we, we, we have to face. And it's fascinating that just at a time when we are so thirsty for that collective yeah. leadership, that relational leadership, our culture is giving us stories yes. of superheroes, yeah. of individual superheroes. You see it in the Marvel universes, you see it in all the rest. So, so maybe we need to create space for more relational models of leadership in our storytelling as well. In one of the things you mentioned was the need to remove oneself from the centre of the picture and to connect the system to more of itself. And one of the things that that reminds me, you know, you talk about in systems thinking, no one person has a full view of the whole system. And that's why relational leadership is so important, because you need to be able to build that full picture. In your transformational work, do you have examples of how people have brought that to life? I, I do, and I have been involved myself to personally in such um, uh, experiments, some of them being at a very large scale and uh, delivering amazing business results. So I have seen those concepts brought to life they're not just you know words in books or in or on podcasts they are a business reality and they they can be enacted now <laughs> it is possible and it's not even so it's not even difficult it takes courage i think that's why there's the word dare in my title as well it takes courage to act differently to change patterns of interaction because as barry oshry said when you change patterns of interactions you have resistance so you need to to be aware first you need to see the system and see how, what, what patterns of relationship where is power and who is up or down or in the middle and um and knowing that we are all in different you know capacities ups and downs and middles but where are how are the patterns and how can we change that to give you an example i was involved one of the stories I was involved in is a movement aimed at improving industrial quality at a pharmaceutical company. And uh, interestingly, for 15 years, this company had tried all sorts of methods to improve quality, um, but they were all, um, how can I say, uh, fitting with the old scheme. Um, it looked new because it had new names every two or three years. It was called Lean and Six Sigma and then, you know, design thinking and then whatever. So it always, but they all, they, they all the same old way, the same old top-down way, expert-based way, you know, telling people what to do way was uh, returning because people don't know any other way so um in fact what we uh, what we f did finally after 15 years we tried something different inspired by living systems and by by networks uh, and community engagement and using digital uh, social networks and so forth and uh, changing focusing on changing the way people work together first rather than focusing on the end goal, on KPIs, on, you know, whatever, methodology, etc. And by creating a movement, by creating a, uh, by triggering or creating the conditions for a community to emerge, 
and uh, to see itself as a community. I think that was a big change. And once we got this uh, emerging community of people realizing that they're in this together and that they actually care for one another, they're not competing across silos or across you know hierarchical levels or sites, etc. They're all in there together. Once we've got this movement uh, created and encouraged and supported by a different kind of leadership, then um, miracles happened, uh, like real miracles, you know, a, a complete overall of, of quality, uh, complete transformation of uh, quality and performance and um, really uh, day and night, you know, transformation. It was quite amazing to see that at a global scale across very different cultures, um, across people rank, ranking from, you know, senior leadership to shop floor workers. So it is possible. It is possible. We just uh, need to pay attention. Yeah, and I, I do think um, there's a, a, a few things that are coming to mind, uh, Salih. One is Thich Nhat Hanh, the Buddhist mm. uh, teacher mm. who died at 95. He, to me, he looked about 60. Mm. But anyway, he died at 95. Mm. And what's interesting, I didn't, I, I, I sort of a, a, was aware of him, but what I didn't realise was how influential mm. he's been, uh, the, the, the role that he's played in bringing um buddhism mm. to the west mm. oh, and and the ro- and it strikes me that that's a that's a kind of uh on leadership a relational leadership it's it's not a lead- it's a leadership by engagement mm. it's a leadership by influence um and i i'm trying to relate what can we learn from nature about leadership and one of the things that i sort of slightly bore him with is is when I kind of say so which in a forest which tree is the leader mm. now now some trees are, are larger than others some are smaller etc but clearly no one single tree exactly. leads the forest exactly. yet clearly mm. there is a level of purpose uh, relation health uh, vibrancy, dynamism, evolution, all the things that a healthy organisation would would want. Mm. And I just wonder whether you see any other kind of examples in nature about what this new style of leadership m- might look like. Mm. Because I feel that the, the organisations or organisms of the future, the communities of the future, are going to have to have really dramatically different um, types of leadership, just as you're saying. Mm, yeah, exactly. I think that's a great question. It's a very rich question. There's a lot of uh, elements in it. Uh, the first thing is related to Buddhism, uh, what, what you mentioned at the beginning of your of your sentence. And um, I'm, I'm very interested in it, and I've been inspired by um, some Zen how can I say, mentors, adept of Zen, and I have a huge respect for that culture. I've been living in Asia, you know, several years myself. There's one thing I'm uh, cautious of when we speak, uh, because there's a lot of discourse uh, around mindfulness in the workplace, you know, and relaxation, those kind of things. And I'm all for it up to a certain point. I find that uh, if those uh, mindfulness and etc. are techniques 
aimed at having people accept the unacceptable, I think that's wrong. I think we shouldn't favor that. Some things need to change, need to be changed, not accepted. Okay, so that's a first uh, first point I wanted to to make in relation to your question, and the second uh, element of of your question is around living systems and forests, and um, and yes, I find it fascinating as a topic, absolutely fascinating. I've learned uh, a lot myself from uh, Fritjof Capra, from Umberto Maturana, Francisco Varela, Dana Wenmedov, and, and so on, many, many people. And Myron Rogers uh, is one of those uh, extremely important mentors to me who's worked uh, with Meg Whitley in the past. And I've also stumbled upon, as I researched for my book, I stumbled upon uh, the work of uh, Deleuze and Gattari on rhizomes. And the rhizome, you know, this under this subterranean network of roots, of interconnected roots between all those plants you see in the forest, is absolutely fascinating as a, as a concept, which... Um, finds a lot of resonance, I feel, in the digital workplace, which you know very well, because you've been involved uh, in that field for many, many, many years. That's why I find um, I completely correlate it to this new type of leadership. You, you cannot, uh, I don't know, think or apprehend leadership in isolation uh, from technology especially from digital technology today, because it is precisely this technology that enables not only connection, but also a different, different types of interactions. It changes the nature of interactions and it creates, it's, it's favorable to creating this rhizome in the company. Uh, in, in addition to that, if you um, support, create uh, um, the uh, networks of volunteers, for example, volunteering, uh, which is interest, super interesting to connect people across silos, across uh, hierarchical levels, uh, etc., then you double down on the rhizome. You, you create, you connect the system to more of itself. As I said uh, earlier, which is a, a very, very important uh, capacity for the system to stay alive, to maintain its liveliness. Its liveliness. There's a couple of things I wanted to then pick up on in terms of what you you picked up on. The first is that on the root system, mm. it's it's such a rich metaphor for, as you say, like the digital workplace and how collaboration yeah. works and mm. how networks and communities are formed and the beautiful thing about the the scientific findings around that root system and how the fungal network helps mm. connect different trees it's not just there and exists it's how resource is shared it's mm. how the trees communicate danger with one another and it's it's just the way in which the energy and the knowledge and the resources flow between them and that's exactly how a network works within an organization and also beyond the boundaries of the organization to the outside world as well with those permeable boundaries mm. it's how resources get shared it's how knowledge flows exactly. it's how if somebody yeah. is in help you can communicate that you need help and it's such a rich metaphor to, to picture our organizations and our kind of work ecosystems in that way mm. um, and the other thing is I just wanted to absolutely agree with your point about having mindfulness techniques and all of these things that are coming forward as a way of having people accept the exactly. unacceptable mm -hmm. 
is just it's it's maintaining the status quo yeah. and i remember reading an article in i think the financial times roughly last year that was exactly on this it found that while more organizations were talking about mental health support and they were providing mm. for example the headspace app and all various other things it was lovely because it was helping people manage stress mm. But the cause of the stress exactly. was their workloads. <laughs> so instead of instead of thinking, exactly. how can we help people by addressing the cause of the stress? Yes. It was let's help them deal with it better. Yeah. So it's it needs to be both. It's good to be able to actually have that. Mental health has been such a taboo for so long in, in organisations. Mm -hmm. So to be able to have that conversation is really valuable. Yeah. But let's also change the things that are causing people to have ill mental health. Um, which which brings me to a really fascinating part of your book and your work, which is, I know that you mentioned previously, I think with Stoboid, that there's something about frameworks that doesn't sit right with you because they can be quite rigid. They can be used in different ways that aren't particularly adaptable and all the rest. But what you do speak about are the three values of um, equality, I can't actually find my notes now. I know them, they're on the tip, thank you. It was on the tip of my tongue and I couldn't remember them in order even though they are so famous. You've literally forgotten the three values that underpin <laughs> France. That's terrible. I had them and then they were lost and then I couldn't find my notes. Liberty, fraternity and equality. Not in that order necessarily. And I would love to hear more about what drew you to those three as a... And it's not a framework, but it's like guiding principles to how work can flow. Yeah, exactly. I feel a, a bit uncomfortable with frameworks, although I need to be honest, I have been inspired by by frameworks myself in the past. So they, they can be useful. However, I've seen them applied um in a, in a almost in a stupid way, you know, almost by people who just apply them without thinking, really. And in a way, if the industry of frameworks is maintaining people in that sort of dependency on tools and solutions coming from elsewhere. And that's not what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to inspire people to think for themselves in their own context ideally with other people, with their colleagues, with their managers, leaders, etc., or, or teammates. Um, so that's why I didn't set a framework, uh, but instead offered three pathways. Uh, there are avenues for on which we, we can, you know, walk together and uh, have those conversations. As I thought about organizing my ideas, that was one thought that crossed my mind and I thought, oh, no, that's a bit cheesy. You know, I'm French and uh, is it really worth uh, working along those lines? And I asked my a, a good friend of mine who has uh, helped me put my first manuscript in good English, uh, Richard. I said, Richard, what do you think if I, is it worthwhile exploring this, uh, this three um, lines of thoughts? And he said, yeah, why not? I, 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 you will be grounded culturally, and they have not really been used in the field of business. I've, I mean, liberated organizations, yes, so freedom has been sort of explored in a way, 
but all three together, not really. So I thought, okay, let's, let me try and see if it works. And I found that it actually worked pretty well because they are not just, I mean, they, they are not French values. They're not even revolutionary values. Uh, they were actually put together before, much before the, Rev the French Revolution, a hundred years before. And they are more like universal aspirations, I feel. And they are, in a way, contradictory. Each and every one of them is contradictory with the, or comes somehow in contradiction with the way regular business works, the, the regular workplace. You know, freedom, oh, uh, liberty, oh, it's going to be chaos. Equality, oh, we can't be all equals in the workplace. Fraternity, uh, we're not here to be friends, right? But what if, what if we actually uh, looked at that closer, in a, in a, a closer way and reflected on what liberty can actually bring to the business and equality and fraternity or community? I have found this, um, uh, this set of values um, pretty comprehensive as a, as a way for me to help put the, the whole uh, synthesis together. It's an open synthesis. It's not a closed synthesis. You know, the avenues uh, can go on forever. <laughs> There's no end point, but I find they're uh, stimulating. Yeah. And, and when you say the, the avenues can go on for, forever, I'm getting a vision of the Champs-Élysées, <laughs> uh, the Arc de Triomphe and the roads coming into <laughs> that and the perfect pattern. I think that's going to be the banner image for the for the podcast. <laughs> um, but actually, I think you've, I think completely agree i think focusing on liberté equality and fraternity is 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 a beautiful thing and it's a real reflection of the book that you've that you've written and i actually think the 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 one of those that i feel is in a way the one that stands out for me at the moment as distinctly different is the fraternity mm. because it gets into the idea of community mm. of belonging exactly. and we know that people feel a a lack of belonging in organizations and uh, and if they do they that's part of the great resignation but one thing that i've just been noting down while you were talking is that actually the opportunity through this crisis of leadership is that if we look at a machine and we look at the mechanistic system it's actually very very difficult apart from a small number for a small number of people to have a leadership role to lead in a machine because the machine, in a way, leads. But once you're in an ecosystem or an organism or in a forest, then actually everything and every part of it uh, is actively leading itself. So, I mean, we could we could go through into the into the. Uh, uh, as you've been talking about, both of you, with the root system, the 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 the, the fungi, um, and and we could go in through microscopic again and again and again, deeper and deeper, or out. And what you see is active leadership, participative relational leadership. This is why I kind of feel that the new story of work really is the, the story of a living organization, of a living system, and an entirely different relationship. Um, with with nature but one of the things that that kind of um i i kind of get the impression you sort of as a person probably dislike passivity you 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 don't like in a way um uh where somebody says do this and everybody kind of 
bows down to it and your point about mindfulness as a way of almost numbing people uh, against the kind of dreary dreary work is is that is that am i right about that uh, yes uh, yes you are and at the same time your question made me think about um, control and and flow as much as it's true that i resent passivity as a way of uh, uh, giving up, you know, giving up the possibilities to others and uh, giving up uh, part of our life to our managers and uh, or, or people who uh, control businesses. And we shouldn't be doing that because everybody's contribution is needed. And, and some, I, I feel some people are resenting the fact that they are perceived as non-essential, as not important, as uh, not mattering. And I feel this is a source of um, social disease that you can see in populism and, you know, people voting for extremes, etc., because they feel despised and they feel uh, not seen, unseen, you know, at work. I feel that work is part of the, of the, is a source of those problems, not the only one, but probably a very important source anyway so yes i'd love people to be more active or those who can those who have a responsibility uh, need to um, pay attention to uh, involve others and um, and create those healthy collectives at the same time i am also at i am at ease with going with the flow with not controlling the end results necessarily in accepting that everything is interdependent and that you don't necessarily even if you you know prepare everything well and you know plan and uh, which which is something i like to do huh? but you don't necessarily get the results you aim for and because you can't control everything because we live in we live and work and breathe in ecosystems so I'm uh, on the one hand, you know, uh, I'm for action and, and activism and agency. And at the same time, I'm also for accepting the unexpected and yeah, being open to being comfortable in the, in the discomfort <laughs> of the unknown and the unpredictable. That brings me almost back to, to something you mentioned right at the start, which was the need for emotional intelligence. Mm amongst the people who are unleading for want of a better word but are try who are seeking to embrace relational forms of leadership and i think often when we think about leadership and we think about change we think about transformation it's very much about the external the external system the external change how do we make things happen how do we affect change but what comes to mind is that there needs to be a process of inner work and inner change that takes place at the same time where the individual the individuals sorry are thinking through who am i what is my role how am i helping unblock energy as it flows around the organization so that it's positive energy not toxic energy and, and all that side of things and so just for the final question i wanted to ask what if we have people listening right now thinking about, okay, me, my role as a, as a leader, how do I need to start to transform myself and the way that I relate to others to embrace this form of relational leadership? 
what concrete first steps would you hope to see? Originally, my question was organisations take, but I think it's actually about what concrete first steps would you hope to see individuals taking on that journey? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and of, of course, I think it depends on everybody's uh, own context. And but I would suggest as a first step to have one unusual conversation. What is the one unusual conversation you can have? And by unusual, I mean it can be with somebody or the kind of person you're never talking with usually or using a media you're not or channel you're not used to or, you know, what is the unusual conversation you can have? How can we start changing and it starts with it can start uh, in a in a very short time you know okay how can we start changing patterns of interaction what is something that is no one would expect that from you and and you do it anyway what is that thing you know and it can be like again very very small for me it took you know writing to the ceo when i was really far from re reporting to the CEO. I was, you know, um, and that was a, a, min, a minuscule, a very small act of, you know, stepping outside of my boundaries. And I don't mean, you know, everybody needs to write to their CEOs. That's not the point. But what is the unusual discussion? Because, uh, um, again, I feel, I find that, yeah, knowing oneself, you know, it needs to be done for sure. But I think the best changes happen uh, in interactions. It, it happens between different people, not just, you know, uh, each and every one of us uh, alone in their, in their own heads. So what are those new interactions you can form around new topics, new channels, with new people? How do senior leaders, you know, connect, connect really with uh, people in the front line, for example? That's fantastic, Celine. And um, just uh, while we come to the uh, close, uh, are there any final thoughts or reflections or, or uh, ideas you'd like to just um, share with us? I don't think so. I think uh, your your questions were extremely rich. I could speak about those kind of topics for hours, and I think you could as well. <laughs> so I'm really happy to have more conversations around that and also on social networks. And um, we don't have all the answers, neither you nor me, but what we care for, these living systems, are so rich in possibilities. I cannot invite people enough to um, learn about that, to uh, educate themselves about living systems, living organizations, how, how this thing works. Because they, are, they have uh, absolute potential for our organizations and therefore for our society. Absolutely. No, I mean, I, and you've given at least me a long list of names of people, some of whom I've not heard of, who I now <laughs> want to go and find out more about. So we'll have um, some some links to those uh, individuals in the uh, in the show notes. And um, thank you so much, Celine. It's been absolutely uh, delightful to to talk to you and to have the conversation. Thank you very much, Paul. Thank you, Shimrit. It was delightful. Thank you.
The Nature Work podcast is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner and boutique consultancy supporting more than 100 leading organizations to advance their digital workplaces. For more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. This is Paul Miller wishing you well until next time. Unleadership is not the absence of leadership. It's a different kind of leadership, which requires even more work. (laughs) 